0: You know that term, bigger and better, right? Christ is better than bigger. Better than bigger. I know as pragmatists, we always think what the means justifies the end, whatever we could do to make it bigger, uh, let's do that. Right? we We just think that if it's bigger, then it's better. And that can be the case, not always the case, but I wanna just remind us that Jesus is better than bigger. I want to draw your attention to a fellow that I've, I've used this theme a couple times, and I, I don't wanna just assume everyone got it, so I wanna go back and visit this. If you don't know, this is uh, Kathy Truett. He's the founder of Chick fil A, and the su- success story of the Chick fil A, the most profitable fast food chain. Uh, in America on a per-location basis began with a diner opened in the right place at the right time. So in 1946, the late Chick-fil-A founder, a longtime chair and CEO, Samuel Truett Caffey, opened a diner named the Dwarf Grill, was located in Hapville, Georgia, in a suburb of Atlanta. Has anyone ever been there to the original one? I'm not, even a, I'm not even a fan of Chick-fil-A. I've eaten there like once or twice, and I'm like, okay, whatever. The sauces are cool. I don't really get it, but it's one of the most successful chain restaurants uh, in America. It's like an American classic, an American staple. Uh, in and out, Chick-fil-A, I'm going in and out all day long, but whatever. Uh, let's, let's learn some stuff from what this gentleman has to say, and then we'll get into what God has to say. Uh, But before we do, let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would encourage your people as we go through your word today and as we look through some truths. May people be edified and blessed and encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. So nine principles of a Christian business owner. So if you did not know, um, if you could fast forward the slide there. If you did not know, uh, he was a Christian business owner And there's probably some controversy around that, as there is with anyone that's a Christian. Um, But let's look at some nine principles that he kind of held to. Principle number one, being in the food business, you have to remember to do each and everything right every time. It's kind of a guiding principle that he, he ran the business by. The second mile is your second nature. Manage your household. You have to be very careful about what you say. More importantly, you have to be very careful about what you do. You never know how or when you influence people, especially children. Number three, perseverance. No goal is too high if we climb with care and confidence. Uh, What's that book you're reading, Jim, by uh, Brene Brown, Daring Greatly? Yeah, kind of the same idea there. Number four, remember your roots. As a kid, (laughs) I can't remember having anything to play with except a loose tooth, and that wasn't even mine. It was my brother's. So kind of like a rags-to-riches story. (laughs) A lot of people are identifying with that. I hear some dentures rattling around when you're laughing. Okay, okay. Hit a nerve, huh? Hard work, number five. It is when we stop doing our best work that our enthusiasm for the job wanes. Uh, we must motivate ourselves to do our very best and by our example lead others to do their best as well. Good principle, hard work. The Bible says that too, right? It's all over the Bible, uh, hard work. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Um, there's all profit and labor. And of course, we don't work for the free gift of salvation. We do our work from it, but we still do good works, but not, we're not working to get, we were, we're working because we already got, uh, but we still do hard work, and that's a good principle. Learning ability, I wasn't all that bright, I had difficulty keeping up in class, I had always carried with me a bit of an inferiority complex regarding socializing at school, and I never felt confident about dating girls, but I enjoyed my work. And I enjoyed the rewards of working. As I read Mr. Hill's book, I realized I could do anything if I wanted it badly enough. Right? And you've heard that with people with dyslexia, people that haven't finished high school even, uh, went on to do great things. And so learning ability. Next, loyalty of your people is key to most any business success, which is true. Brand loyalty. right? This is a company that's the most successful, and they've got brand loyalty galore. Number eight, discipline. Why do we close on Sunday? Well, it started back in 1946 when I opened my first restaurant, a 24-hour coffee shop called The Dwarf Grill. After the first week, I determined that if I took seven days a week to make a living, I should be in some other business. Two, it was my conscience that I had to live with. I just never could come to the idea of dealing with money on the Lord's Day. I became a Christian at age 12. That's not to say that everything I've done since that time is becoming to a Christian. But I believe the Lord has blessed us because we recognize him on this special day we call Sunday. And look, the Sunday is not the Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath, not Sunday. Sunday is considered in the Bible the first day of the week because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. The Sabbath in the Bible is the seventh day, which would be Saturday, all right? Just, just so we know. Because sometimes uh, businesses that do this, they kind of mix it up and they say, well, it's the Sabbath, you can't do work on the Sabbath. Well, then close on Saturday and move your business to Israel where you could be in that time zone because you would be inconsistent otherwise. And last, faith, number nine. I believe that you can combine biblical principles and good business practices. I testify before Congress on how to be honest and successful at the same time. That's a novel idea. (laughs) You have to do this, and you do do this with your business. Uh, Any business owner would know, like, as a Christian, to be honest, fair, equitable, and successful at the same time when you're tempted to cut corners and to cut costs and to cut quality. Um, Some people just kept those principles and said, I'm not going to do that. And as a result, he was successful. Um, So that brings me to this last point, which will be kind of like the segue into where I want to go today. And we're not going to be long. We're going to do the Lord's Supper here in a moment as we do our table talk discussions. But it's it's this next point here. And I've made this before. When almost ready to roll up, the, roll up the doors, shut the business down, as they were competing with Boston Market at the time, that was, that was kind of taking over the chicken uh, uh, side of the food service industry. The, the people on the board of Chick-fil-A were just struggling. They're getting desperate. They're wondering like, oh, how, could we, you know, how could we compete? How could we turn a profit? And they were always talking about, we need to get bigger, we need to grow, we need to get bigger, uh, bigger, faster, stronger. Um, And then he said this in a meeting. He said, gentlemen, tired of hearing you talk about us getting bigger. What we need to be talking about is getting better. When we make it better, our customers will demand that we make it bigger. Have you ever been to a re- have you ever drove by a restaurant? And you're like, why is there a line down the street and it's a little hole in the wall place? Have you ever seen that sort of phenomenon? It happened a lot when a lot of those food TV celebrities would find like these obscure off the road, off the beaten path uh, restaurants, and they're saying it's the best burger, it's the best this, it's the best that, and no one ever heard about it but the locals. And then when it goes to national TV. Then you can't even get a spot because there's like a two-hour wait to, to get that said burger. Well, after those places experience that, it's not the aesthetics of the building that drew the people there. It's the food. Good food in Sunday school, by the way. We had donuts, but we had a good lesson in Sunday school. Hopefully, the messages that come from the pulpit, from whoever teaches or preaches or shares and communicates the Word of God, that they're giving Good food. And I think if you give good food, no matter what the building looks like or with the location, um, that that good will attract, you know, a bigger uh, audience. And then if there's a bigger audience, you know, then you have to, uh, or if, <laughs> if we're going to make it bigger, we've got to make it better. I believe this. God believes in better. God believes in better. And here's some verses just to go along with that. Proverbs 8.11. Wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. Wisdom is better than rubies. You could define that. It's better than being rich. Proverbs 15.16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Very next verse. Better... As a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. You kind of know what God's trying to convey. He's trying to say, look, if you got humble means and you have love, that's better than having, you know, like all the food and all the, the delicacies you could ever want. It's better uh, to have a place of love. Better in Proverbs 16:8, better is a little with righteousness and great revenues without right. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? Better is it to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil uh, with the proud. Let's go to the next slide. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he or she that rules their spirit than he that takes a city. This is ancient wisdom here. This is ancient, timeless wisdom. (laughs) Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. Better is the poor that walks in their integrity than he or she that is perverse with their lips and is a fool. You getting the theme here? Like, God's all for better. If it before it gets bigger, it needs to get better. And these are God's principles, and this is is the mind of God on what better looks like. Proverbs 19.22, the desire of a man is his kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. Proverbs 21.9, it's better to, (laughs) it's my wife's favorite verse, better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. I had to put these up there. Better is it to go camping for long periods of time than to dwell with a contentious and angry woman? Or fishing trips, just saying. Or golf, or golf weekends, just saying. No. <laughs> the women are, well, my wife's actually going on a, on a ladies' trip. She's like, yeah, <laughs> it's better to go like a week with your girlfriends too than to hang out with you, buddy. Um, (laughs) Look at the next slide, Proverbs 27, verse 5. Open rebuke is better than secret love. No one likes to be rebuked or to be told what's up. (laughs) For example, I walked out, I walked into the room today, this morning, and I just had toast, and the, we have the sourdough bread that has all these, it's like really holy. It's not holy bread, but the sourdough has a lot of holes in it. And Chloe was making fun of my butt. She's like, Dad, you're not good at spreading butter. And I'm like, it's got holes all over. She's like, you got to go through the holes. So I, I did Chloe's advice. And then when I ate it, I had big globs of butter on my beard. And then I walked into the, uh, into the bedroom where Jen was getting ready. She's like, "Ooh, gross. What's that white stuff all over your face? And I looked in the mirror and I'm like, dang it, it's like a whole bunch of butter. And I just like, I'm like, beard oil, uh, (laughs) moisturizer. (laughs) But that open rebuke is better than secret love. What if my wife was like, I love you, babe, have fun at church, and not said anything? That's like, you don't even tell your buddy he's got toilet paper hanging off his shoe. You're like, hey, man, enjoy your lunch with all your, your work buddies. <laughs> so Proverbs 27.10, your own friend and your father's friend forsake not, neither go into your brother's house in the day of calamity, for better is a neighbor that is near than a brother that's far off. Obviously relationships are better uh, than being in isolation. Proverbs eight six, better is the poor that walks in his uprightness than he that's perverse in his ways, though he be rich. Moving to Ecclesiastes, same author, God, but using the wisdom of Solomon, who was the wisest of all. Betters a handful with quietness than both hands full with travail and vexation. What's that saying? Bird in the bush, hand in the. Yeah, I don't know if that has any relation. I can't even remember. <laughs> this one is with the cords, but it's talking about relationships. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4 9. Two are better than one because they have good reward uh, for their labor. 4.13, better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. That no more be admonished means like you're... you're, The day we become unteachable, that's not better. We kind of talked about that in Sunday school too. Uh, We're always growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. No one's crossed any finish lines. And so... Like, if you, you know, if you've reached the zenith of man's, like, dwelling and domain, and you're the king, and uh, you're, you're like, you've arrived, so to speak, and you've got all that you want, um, temporally speaking, and, but you can't learn anything new, and it's, that's not good. That's what, that's what the Bible's saying. That's what the king that had everything is saying, by the way. Ecclesiastes 5.5, Better is it that thou shouldst not vow than you should vow and not pay. In other words, the New Testament says the same thing. Let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. We just need to, it's better to just be a person of your word. Ecclesiastes 6.9, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. There's another proverb that says, like, as hell is not full, so are the eyes of man are never satisfied. Um, there's also vanity and vexation of spirit. Ecclesiastes 7.3, sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. And I think the idea there is, it's not that it's good to be sad, but the resolve, the resolution, right, um, is better than to just not have to experience anything in life at all. Ecclesiastes 7.5, it's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. And I'll tell you what, today the song of fools, you know what I'm saying? I was just making an observation with Jen. We were, we were at the beach the other day, and we're going through this marriage book, and we're, it's a workbook. Um, uh, it's called How We Love. I would encourage everyone to look into the website, take the, the love style quiz, it's free. Um, but we're going through this How We Love book. And have you ever, I noticed this at the beach, but I've also noticed this at restaurants. People in relationship with, I don't even know the dynamics, but they'll be sitting at lunch and they'll be on their phone. And I was asking Jen, I'm like, God's creation is so awesome. We were seeing dolphins uh, swim by, just waving to him a little bit. Hey, bud. Hey, bud. But people on their—I'm not saying like don't be on your phone. um, You know, use your phone as a tool. But I I mean, does it have control over you, or do you have control over it? And I thought, man, people are missing so much of. I'm not mad at the people. I'm just kind of mad at the idea that you're missing so much. You know, relationally and all that kind of stuff. And I think this is kind of the idea here. It's better to be real and and relational than to just be distracted with uh, nothingness. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. um, And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Say not where, or this is going to be the last verse for this section before we move on to something else and then we'll be done. It's really short today. But this is good for the church, especially for a pastor that comes into a church with a long history. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. You ever been to a place like, oh man. You could do this with your generation too. There's a, there's a, there's a generation, there's multi-generations in here, right? From your screen babies, that's the generation that's born with the screen. They're calling them scream babies. There's uh, Gen Gen Zs, Uh, then there's the Millennials, then there's Gen X, that's me. Uh, There's the Baby Boomers, and there's the, you know, the greatest generation that's ever been around. And especially those guys and gals, right? Why were the former days better than these? Uh, In therapy, I was just talking to someone the other day about this very concept, the past is for depression, the future is for anxiety, but the present, I couldn't say the rest of it, but the present is for enjoying the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, don't worry about tomorrow. I mean, you could be depressed when you look in the rearview mirror and the objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. I get it. And you could be anxious about the future because you don't know uh, what the future holds, but you can know who holds the future. It's a quote from my aunt. Um. <laughs> but the present, we were teaching practicing the present, being in the present, being in the present. And um, we could always be looking in the rearview mirror. Why are the former days better than these? But what I'm trying to get at is how could we look forward in faith and in hope and understanding that Christ is better? Do we believe in better? Do we believe in better? Now, I, wanna, I just want to pull this, these two verses out of the Old Testament just to draw this thought. This first one here from Exodus chapter 14. Given, let me give you the context Israel was in slavery for 400 years. They were eating leeks and garlic. They had a whip on their back. They were working for a government and a, and a, uh, and a system that were not congruent with their monotheistic uh, beliefs in God, and this was a polytheistic pagan culture, and they were there for 400 years. And then you know the showdown between Moses and Pharaoh, let my people go. And finally, you know, the people were delivered out of uh, Israel. They crossed the Red Sea. And then they're on the other side of the Red Sea. And they're wandering for 40 years. Now, they had the faith to be led out of Egypt. But they didn't have the faith to be led into the promised land. Christian, a lot of times we have the faith to say, Jesus, come into my heart and save me. And a lot of times we don't have the faith to walk and to abide in Christ. Like it says in Colossians 2.6, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Not a striving, but an abiding. Not like, a, um, not like a, the, this trying really hard, but this trusting. And so the Israelites... They got their eyes off of the Lord. They put their eyes on their circumstance. They were in their tents. They were murmuring. They were complaining. They complained about Moses. They complained about God. They even said in Deuteronomy chapter 1, why does God hate us and why does God want to kill us? Those were incorrect thoughts ascribed to God that weren't true, but yet they believed it. And so from Exodus chapter 14 and verse 12, they're immediately um, in a circumstance where they think, like, this, is, this doesn't make sense uh, to my logical cognitive thinker. And it says, is, is not this the world or the word that we did uh, tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die in the wilderness. Really? So slavery is better. Then your freedom in Christ, though your freedom uh, requires that you have faith in a God who believes in better, but do we believe in better? Look at this next passage. In Numbers, part of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, it's just a census really, and the, the title of the book Numbers is because the number that went out of Egypt is not the same number that went into the promised land. Only two that left Egypt were the OGs, the originals that came out of Egypt was Joshua and Caleb because they left by faith and then they entered by faith. So Numbers 14.3 says, And wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And you see this cognitive dissidence here, to where it's not better to be in slavery; it is better to move forward. It is better to walk by faith and not by sight. It is better to trust in the Lord. And I want to—I just want to bring this up because you ever—you've heard of this? We a, we actually have to discuss it in in um, therapy um, because it happens—not all the time, but sometimes. You know, when a captor gets held captive and then. They develop a relationship towards their captor, even though they're the victim. And so Israel kind of had the Stockholm Syndrome. It's like, it's like the Jews, when they, were, when they were going into Auschwitz and that uh, Achtmet-free sign was over the, the labor camp. Work makes free in German. It, it, was, it was a lie. And so, so it was where the Israelites were murmuring and complaining and they didn't want to go forward. They didn't believe God is better. They thought it was better back in slavery and it wasn't. And that brings us to this last point. Jesus is better. Look at Psalm 63:3. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Walking with God is better. Walking by faith is better. Hebrews 8, 6. But now has he, Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. We're going to do the Lord's Supper here in a minute. And he's talking about the new versus the old. It's a better covenant, which is established upon better promises. Hebrews 6, 9. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. We are persuaded of better things of you. You have a better future. Those that have received Christ by faith alone and Jesus alone, the things that accompany your salvation, there's better things. And in Hebrews chapter 12, when you go to that faith chapter, it's like we... We're looking for a better city, a better country, uh, a better future. He says that over and over again in Hebrews uh, chapter 12. And those are the things that accompany those that have salvation. So this last and final thought before we do table talk and the Lord's Supper. So this only works with the King James Bible. I'm not King James Bible only. I'm King Jesus only, just so you know but I want, I want to point this out because this is very interesting. The longest chapter in the Bible falls just after this chapter, Psalm 119. That's the longest chapter in the Bible. Interesting. The shortest chapter in the Bible falls um, just before this, actually, Psalm 117. There's exactly 594 chapters before Psalm 118 and exactly 594 chapters after Psalm 118, when you add the numbers of chapters before Psalm 118 and those after the sum is 1118. Isn't that interesting? And the verse at the very center of the Bible is Psalm 118.8. You want to know what the very center verse of the entire Bible says? Check this out. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Center verse of the Bible. So when I'm talking about Christ is better, look at, look at what this verse encapsulates. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Amen?